Damon is with us today. I, as I read his books and listen to his comments, whether it's on television or radio, and this last week he was on Focus on the Family, I think that so often he is a voice of sanity and common sense in a world that just seems so topsy-turvy and upside down. He's authored over 30 books. You've seen him on programs such as Good Morning America, CNN, on Oprah. He's a follower of Jesus, and he takes those wonderful biblical principles and gives them to us in such a practical way. And this morning, it is our tradition to have him here around the 4th of July every year, and we're glad we're able to do it again this year. Would you please welcome Dr. Kevin Lehman. Hey, good morning, everybody. Well, it's so nice to be here. I was thinking about why I like this place, why we were worshiping. And by the way, worship's over. <laughs> worship's over. That was a great worship. Okay? And then you got a guy like Jack that comes up and says what he said. That song, you know, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, my favorite hymn all time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Wow. He gets up and he, he hits a grand slam by telling us about Jesus just appearing behind those locked doors. He did it in this much time. I whispered to Pam, he should have been a pastor. <laughs> but I got to tell you this, I was at a chef's restaurant in Buffalo, New York this week. If you've never been to Chef's, you're missing something. Right outside the right field line of, the, of uh, the Buffalo Bison's baseball facility, you'll find Chef's on Seneca Street. And I ran into Tommy Reed, a pastor from the Tabernacle in Orchard Park. Wonderful human being. And Pastor Jack's name came up in conversation. And he just went off on Jack about what a great pastor he was and what a great person he was. You know, I've spoken in your church, folks, more than any other church in America. <laughs> I speak a lot. I mean, I'm all over the place. But the history of this thing, real quickly, the history of this thing is Jack asked me years ago to come here over July 4th weekend, and I thought, oh, the poor pastor, he wants to get away, get away from those people who are always pulling on him and stuff. So, I, okay, I'm going to do that because I always have a heart for pastors. And I showed up here the first time, and Jack and his pretty wife, Pam, are sitting in the front row, like she's there now. I'm going, what's this all about? Well, for I don't know how many years we've done this, but we've done it for a long time. But what I love about coming here to First Assembly is this, that we, you worship. That worship was great. The music was great. That, that, that's what we do on Sunday. We come together and worship, okay? Uh, I'm not a pastor. I, I'm a psychologist, you know. And I know how some of you feel about psychology-type people. I read my mail. But uh, since you're a little bit like family to me, I've been here so many times, let me share with you what's going on in Lehman life real quickly before we get going. Number one, our Hannah, our fourth-born, our third daughter, is getting married next Saturday. And it's a, it's a country wedding. And I don't do weddings well. If you ever saw Father the Bride... I am Steve Martin. I told my wife, I see one swan at that wedding, I'll kill it. And I cry like a baby. My last, the last wedding we had was our daughter Chrissy. And when the pastor came up, you know, I walk her down the aisle, and then the pastor comes out and he says, Who giveth this woman to the tender care and love of Dennis? 
He called my little girl a woman. A woman. She's not a woman. She's a little kid. So I'm supposed to say, uh, she gives herself to Dennis with our blessing or something like that. Well, that's not what came out. What came out was, ah! I gave the pastor the time outside. And I left my daughter. And I got in my son-in-law's face. Dennis O'Reilly from Chicago. Seven brothers. And I said to him, I ain't giving her to you. Until I hear it from your lips. That you're going to listen to her, you're going to love her, you're going to protect her, you're going to honor her. I gave him Ephesians 5 revisited. I made a fool of myself. And then I realized I had, and I thought, oh, what are you doing? This is your daughter's wedding, you idiot. And I, I, I let Dennis off the hook and went back and held my daughter's arm as I was supposed to do. And I said, Pastor John, you better ask that question again. And he asked it again, and I mumbled something, and I'm not even sure what I mumbled. I was crying so hard, and I sat down and cried some more. So we've had major setbacks this week just talking about the wedding. And then she wants to do this father-daughter dance at the wedding. And she, I said, well, what's that song? And she started singing it for me. She got about four bars into it. I knew the song. I wish I could remember it for you this morning. I can't. And I just started crying again. So another wedding. Life goes on. And uh, she is not our baby. Uh, she's our fourth-born. She's going to turn 23. And she's way too young to be married. And then my wife informed me that she's older than my wife was when I married her. <laughs> and her intended Josh is older than I was when I married Sandy. So <sighs> life goes on. So life's busy. Uh, have a brand-new uh, DVD out. Uh, we have DVDs that are in, uh, shown in churches. 50,000 churches, they tell me. That's a lot of churches. But we've never done one for home use. We finally did one. It was, it was on Focus on the Family this week. But it's called uh, Straight Talk on Parenting. And it's just for home use. So if you're one of those people who don't like to read books and you just want to see Fat Boy in person talking about rearing kids, uh, this is the DVD. You're going to hear about it a lot from Focus. Uh, they're... they're co-sponsoring this, so that'll be shown all over the country. And what else did I want to tell you? Oh, a little bit more about Pastor Jack, if you don't mind. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I'm in a lot of churches, and I, I, just a reminder for all of us, you know, I know times are tough, the economy's tough. You want to take a look at your faith up front, take a look at your wallet. Take a look at your checkbook. It tells you an awful lot about who you are. This is a great time to step out and, and act on your faith. I know things are tough all over. They're tough for everybody. And I hate to tell you how many times I've given the government money in the last 45 days and how much money I gave them. They about cleaned me out. So we're all in the same boat. But I hope you always take good care of your pastor and his wife, your pastors, I should say. You know, these are the guys that you call in the middle of the night when they get that terrible phone call. These are the people who really are your shepherds and are good shepherds. And again, I'm in a lot of churches. I see things in churches that I dare not repeat. But uh, it's always great to be here. And uh, they're great people. And uh, 
I guess that's why I've been here so many years that I, I don't think we've ever turned you down, have we? I don't think we have. So uh, life's busy, but life is good. Uh, my wife of 42 years still loves me. And uh, well, But we're getting old. We're getting old. I'm thinking of writing a book called Sex and the Walker. And uh, so I haven't lost all my fire yet. She's one lucky woman. <laughs> Which brings us to our teaching today. I wrote a book called Have a New Kid by Friday. Uh, I, as of last night, it's the number one book on Amazon in discipline, parent, and families. The number four book is the same book, only in Kindle form. And then Making Children Mine Without Losing Yours is number five. So of the top five, I have three of them. That's just, so God's blessed me and then some in my teaching. But this is the one you have to get brave on. Have a new husband by Friday. Somebody said to me the other day, oh, when is there going to be a book called Have a New Wife by Friday? From my lips to God's ears, you will never see a book by Kevin Lehman <laughs> entitled Have a New Wife by Friday. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> but nevertheless, that's our topic. Have a new husband by Friday. Now, I was greeted by a man at the book table who said, you know, I'm not so sure I want to hear today's sermon. I said, hold on, don't get excited. This is the book every man wishes his wife would read have a new husband by Friday. And this is so simple. Ladies, you have to understand a couple basic things about this man that God created. He is very different from you. And he's not your girlfriend. When your husband goes to his friend's house, he doesn't bring him a little gift with potpourri. Your husband, this fall, will be sitting in a tree waiting for Bambi's father to come over the hill. They love things like bows and arrows and guns. And they do life differently than you do. To get us off on the right foot, let us think of your husband as a four-year-old that shaves. He is the simple one of the genders. You're the complicated ones, okay? You go potty in groups of four, eight, twelve. You know, it's a social event. I'm going potty. Anyone want to come along? You hug anything that moves. As men, as men, we are arm's length. We major in arm's length relationships. Your husband doesn't have any friends. If he's a typical male, he has no friends. I've had people tell me, oh, no, I've got, really, I, I, I got a good friend, Moonhead Deach, my closest friend in life, Moonhead. Known him since I was three years old. He called me one day about a problem he had at work with his boss. You know, on our phone, when you hang up, it shows how many minutes and seconds you've talked. It was 32 minutes. That's the longest conversation that I've ever had with Moonhead. I've known him 63 years. 
if you're curious, one more six after my age and I'm Satan himself. <laughs> but see, men don't have a lot of friends. If they have one, they're blessed. There's probably men here who would tell me to my face, I got two really close personal friends. I could talk to them about anything. That's great. But tell me something. Do you think you're in the major majority or minority? You're in the minority. Some man told me once, I got three close personal friends. I told him, you're a lying dog. <laughs> There's not a man on this earth that has three close personal friends. Because we major in distance. Two men meet, you know, at a party or whatever. What happens? Watch, watch this, now watch. I'll do it and get him, in case you missed it. You ready? Here you go. You with me? What, what does that mean? It means, hey, how you doing? Good party, huh? Think the Steelers going to do it this year finally again? I mean, we're, we're economy with our words. I have a chapter where one of my books says, it's Thursday, I'm out of words already, but if you want to keep talking, honey, go ahead. We see life differently. We live on Chautauqua Lake in the summertime. Our neighbor, Billy, had a baby. Not he had a baby, but his wife had a baby. So we came back, and we just got back, and Sandy was up putting things away, and I saw him out in the yard. So I was going to go over and see the baby. So I go over and see the baby, come back, and I yelled up the stairs to Sandy. I said, oh, you should see Billy's baby. It's really cute. And she yells down. She says, well, what did they have? And I said, a baby. She said, well, do they have a boy or a girl? Well, I started to laugh. I was laughing at myself. I didn't ask. It was bald. How do I know what it was? Now, I'm telling you, if Sandy went over and saw that baby, she'd come back and she'd say, oh, Kevin, oh, Kevin, you should see Billy's baby. It is absolutely beautiful. And, and you know what? She had nine and a half hours of labor, and she pushed, and an epidural, and she'll give you the birth, the height, you know, the whole thing. My daughter, Hannah, the one that's getting married, she had a conversation with me, and, you know, and I, I said to her in true dad style, honey, what's new? And she said, oh, Becca got engaged, her roommate. I said, what would you say, man, to that? What, what would you say, man? Well, that's nice. So we went on a conversation. That same day, Sandy's in the car with me on her cell phone, and Hannah breaks the news to Sandy about the engagement. I wish you could have heard her. <gasps> oh, oh, oh. Did she love the ring? What's it look like? What's, the, what's he like? Do the parents like him? Blah, blah, blah. When's the wedding going to be? She picked out her bridesmaid. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it, I, I'm driving down saying, this is book material. <laughs> I'm making copious notes in my head about how different we do it. And see, here, here's the thing. What you have to understand is that God created your husband in such a way that he balances who you are. He's different from you. Oh, Dr. Lehman, um, let me just say this about that. My husband at times, he acts just like a, um, well, a man. Yeah. 
That's who God created. He's a man. He sees things differently. You know, he's not like you. And you want to turn him into your girlfriend. All of you women here who are married, I'm telling you, if you look in your purse, you'll find a little Brillo pad. You know what a Brillo pad is? It's that little scruffy pad you use to clean things up. And women tend to take out their little psychological Brillo pad and they see the spots on their husband. And they start early in marriage trying to get rid of those little spots. All you're going to do is irritate the leopard. He is who he is. He sees life differently than you. He is your husband. He's not your girlfriend. He wants to be loved by you. He wants to be respected by you. He needs to know he's needed. You know, Father's Day, I love Father's Day. We just celebrated it. Soap on a rope and a weed whacker, can't wait. <laughs> but seriously, my kids, last year they had the Father's Day fiesta. And when I got up, there were balloons that filled the entire entryway into our bedroom. And I had to get through the balloons, and then there was a sign that said, Welcome to the Father's Day Fiesta. I love being a dad. They know that. But, you know, it's, 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 as a man, we get all kinds of jollies, psychological jollies, if you will, strokes from the provision. Now, here's the interesting thing. In today's society, 72% of women with kids of the age of 18 work where? Outside the family. They're not only bringing, bringing home the bacon, okay, they're cooking it. So they have double duty. And a lot of women make more money than their husbands. So times have changed. And, and, and social norms are being challenged. But let me tell you what God's holy word says. It says the two shall become one. It, 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 it's not a good idea. Or a suggestion. It's a commandment that these two people who are so different come together. How long does the average marriage last today? Seven years. Seven years. You want a social problem? There's a huge social problem in our society today. Yeah, we've got to get that oil leak stopped quickly. But you look at social problems in America, fatherless homes, fathers are the leaders. Oh, Dr. Lehman, that's another thing. I'm glad you mentioned leadership. You know, I really would like Ralph to be the spiritual leader of the family. Well, what would you like him to be like? Well, I'd like him to do this, this. You know what? You're never going to get there. If you're having trouble with your husband, let me give you a little hint. Don't ask him any questions. <laughs> There's not a man here who likes to be asked questions by his wife. There's not a man here that likes to be criticized by his wife. Now, women love to share. They love to share. They go to lunch. They have a little chicken salad. Then they sit down and they share. And if you start sharing about your husband, okay, you're violating your marital vows. Because most man's thinking is what? Hey, honey, what goes on between you and me in this marriage is between, you know, you and me. I don't like when you talk to your sister, your girlfriend, your mother about us. I'm telling you, that's how men think. This goes back to, hey, we don't have any friends. But we need who? We need you. But then you had to have those, uh, what do you call them? Um, children. Children. 
And once children come, those little hedonistic little suckers will, will drain mom of, of every bit of energy she's got. And if you've got little kids around, you know what I'm talking Pastor Jack, we were in the office today, and a family came in, and there must have been six in the little flock, maybe six kids. I looked at Pastor Jack. I said, take a look. I said, well, I wonder what's, what Sunday morning's like in that home. Just getting the kids, I mean, dressed and, you know, to put their underwear on or whatever you do in the morning to get kids out the door. That's got to be a major thing. And so Mama Bear spends all of her time with these kids, again, who are pulling on you. I call you women Velcro women because everybody wants a piece of you. (laughs) To have quiet time, you need to go to the potty and lock the door. You know what I'm saying? Well, you end up with a husband who isn't affirmed in the world of work. In the world of work, he's looking over his shoulder. He knows what the word downsizing means. Okay? And again, keep in mind that men identify where? In a place of work the most. Does that mean that a woman who's an engineer doesn't identify in the world of work? Yes. Yes. That's a surprise answer for most of you. Because I I did a study on that and found out the stresses in a woman's life are, number one, kids. Number two, time or lack of time. Number three, husbands. Where's chores around the house, housework? Where's finances that the experts tell us is so very important in everybody's life? Where are those things? See, it's only like women to put who first? People. But lots of times a husband feels like he's on the outside looking in because he doesn't get the attention he needs from guess who? The woman he loves. Keep in mind, you have your girlfriends. You have your sister. You have your mom. You have all your social little things you do every day. Okay? He's got nobody. He's in a dead-end job. He's got a jerk for a boss, four kids, and the budget is stretched to the nth degree. You know what your husband needs this week? He needs an email from you. That says, great news, the kids aren't going to be home tonight. If you hurry home by 6 o'clock, I'm going to be wearing some hors d'oeuvres you're going to love. (laughs) Now, is there a man here that wouldn't want to have that email this week? In other words, you need to find a way. You you want a new man by Friday? I'll tell you, you you don't have to wait till Friday. Two days. Two days you've got a new husband. If you'll stop asking him questions, okay? Stop asking him questions. Don't hover over him. Don't treat him like that four-year-old. In fact, this might help. Think of your husband as a seal. He's like a seal. And when you say something nice about him, especially in front of other people, there's that seal sitting on a rock. And you say something nice about him, you're throwing him a three-pound fish. Oof, 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 oof. He'll do anything for you. See, husbands want to please their wives. They want to please their wives. But you're so weird. Because you'll say things like, Do you want to stop for ice cream? Gentlemen, she's not asking you a question. (laughs) 
she's saying, I want Jamocha almond fudge now. <laughs> when she says, oh, there's a cute chomp, as you're driving, there's a cute chomp. What does that mean? It means pull over. It means I'll go in there for two hours and 12 minutes. So women speak a language that we don't understand. It's hard for us to understand. Because every man here, his mentality is, hey, honey, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. But is that good enough for your wife? Oh, no. Oh, no, that's not good enough. No. you got to know what she's thinking. She doesn't like it when she has to tell you. So she wants a hug, and she says, oh, Robert, Robert, would you come over here and just give me a hug? What's down the newspaper? The Erie Times. I've read it. <laughs> Great newspaper. Puts down the newspaper, walks over and goes. He holds her. What does she tell herself? He held me all right, but he only held me because I asked him to and not because he really wanted to. Seven years and we're done. The marriage is over. You don't have a love affair with your husband, guess what? Somebody else will. Isn't that a sad thing to have to say? It's true. Being married is not easy. Uh, but it's simple. It's simple. If you want the truth in life, you don't really have to visit your local psychologist. What you have to do is take a look at the Word of God. It's really sort of interesting because it's so simple, and yet we make it difficult. I was speaking in Illinois this year to 4,600 women, most of them in the 30s, most of them with little kids. Okay, 4,600 women and me. The estrogen about knocked you over when you walked in the place. And they held this meeting in Illinois. And I got up and I said to the women, very first thing out of my mouth, ladies, you need to please your husband. Now, what do you suppose the reaction was of those 4,600 women? What do you suppose it was? <gasps> there was a gasp that came over. I mean, it was like, what did he say? Please my husband. After all, if I please my husband, and she, they got a little attitude. Please my husband. If they please my husband, I would lose myself. I would lose my identity of who I am. <laughs> now, I know you're here. And let me speak to you as directly as I can. Lady, you need to get a life. You need to understand, okay, that you have to please your husband in marriage. It's a two-way street. Jesus washed some feet to prove a point. You service each other in marriage. It's not a 50-50 relationship. But if you listen to all the social do-gooders out there, you know, the ones who run the talk show circuits and stuff, I'll tell you, pleasing a husband, are you kidding me? That's beneath me. Well, that's why marriage doesn't work today. It's one of the reasons why. It's not a 50-50. It's a 100-100. And yes, there's times it's 90 on your side or 90 on your bride's side. You know, as a married man, again, you heard, I've been married 42 years in a row. I mean, my goodness, I've done it all. If you're married that long, you picked up vomit or diarrhea. <laughs> and you go into Walgreens Bought a box of those things. 
You know, that's always interesting how that happens, you know. How many men have been to Walgreens? You been to Walgreens, done that thing? You walk into Walgreens like this, you know. You don't have a clue where those things are, by the way. Shazam. And somebody's coming, you go, oop! Home you go. I've done it. I've done it. They're the wrong ones. You go back. Part of the joys of being married. I know it sounds funny, but these are the things that required a marriage. It's, it's doing those things for the other person. It's part of what we're commissioned to do, to become one in marriage. But this is the part that I find really interesting. This is good old Ephesians uh, chapter 5. For a husband is in charge of his wife in the same way Christ is in charge of his body, the church. He gave his very life to take care of it and be its savior. So you wives must willingly obey your husbands in everything, just as the church obeys Christ. Now what we've done, especially in the church, is we've beaten women over the head with that thing. So submission, the submission mission, I mean, if you want to start a fight, well, you can talk about music in a church, that'll do it, or submission. But you know what you think about it? If you're a believer today, how did you get to Christ? Through victory or through failure? Through submission or not? See, you have to submit. Submission is not a bad word. Authority is not a bad word. Authority is a great word. But Americans don't like the word authority. Americans don't like the word submission. You must be submissive to whom? Your husband and to your Lord. Now, Interestingly enough, how we do things within the church, and uh, now down in verse 25, and you husbands show the same kind of love to your wives as Christ showed to the church when he died for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by baptism in God's word, so that he could give her to himself as a glorious church without a single spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, being holy without a single fault. That's how husbands should treat their wives. Loving them as parts of themselves, for since a man and his wife are now one, a man's really doing himself a favor in loving himself when he loves his wife. Now, uh, more interesting, and the best verse in all of Ephesians 5, in my biased opinion, is the one that gets omitted. It's Ephesians 5.21. But listen to the words of St. Paul. He says, honor Christ by what? By submitting to each other. See, it's a mutual submissiveness. That's what you want to work toward. That little daughter of mine who's getting married Saturday, I sent she and Josh a signed copy of, uh, of Sheet Music, which is my sex book for couples. And I just wrote in it that I hope the realities and the truths that are in this book are reflected in your marriage. I hope you're always able to put Josh first. Honey, it's not an easy thing to do. But you have to put each other first in marriage to have a real shot at, at living the life that God would have you live. I love you to pieces, your daddy. You know, marriage is a huge step today. A huge step. There's so many things working against you, it's unbelievable. But God, it is infinite wisdom, knew to create us differently. And it's the differences that just seem to drive us up the wall. I was kidding, sister. Pam's sister, her older sister, about being the firstborn of eight. 
know, when you're the firstborn of aid, when something needs to be done, who gets called on? The firstborn. They're the leaders, the movers, the shakers of families. There are natural leaders in families, okay? They're the bossy ones. I mean, I married a firstborn. I'm an expert on firstborn women. My wife, I mean, I love her to death. I call her Mrs. Uppington. Mrs. Uppington. You know, she's the classy one of the two of us. But she's bossy. I finally worked up enough nerve to tell her one day, I said, you're bossy. But God is my judge. I tell you what, she didn't miss a beat. She didn't miss a beat. She said, I'm not bossy. My ideas are just better than yours. <laughs> well, I'm the baby of the family. She's the firstborn. She gets upset. Now, now the wedding week is going on, so everything's going crazy. Dear dad just got in the car, put the top down, and drove through the hills just to get away for an hour. Because everything turns into a simple pimple becomes Mount St. Helens. Everything's exaggerated, you know. And if you're that firstborn person, you know, lighten, you need a baby of the family like me. And she does need me. She'll admit it. The little twisting of the arm. Because she gets too excited. I love to tell a story about trying to get her to go to bed at night. Let's talk about differences. I go to bed at 10 o'clock at night. She's like a raccoon. She's up half the night. She's nocturnal. So one night I said to her, I said, honey, when are you coming to bed? I can't come to bed. My checkbook won't balance. I said, what? My checkbook won't balance. I'm 25 cents off. It's driving me crazy. I can't find it. I said, I'll give you a quarter. Come to bed. Come on. <laughs> but do you see these two perspectives? Why would you get up tight looking for a quarter missing in your account? The bank's going to send you a statement at the end of the month. You can find it. Eventually, it's there. But see, those people who struggle with perfectionism, and I've talked about that so many times in this church, you know, perfectionism is a scourge. It's like walking along with a carrot or the donkey. You know, you never quite get there. God loves you as you are. He wants you to be successful in your marriage. He wants you to be successful in your families. Why, why did Jesus, by the way, pastor, all of a sudden appear. And the scripture does say they were behind locked doors. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. Why did he appear? How about this? Why did he appear so many different times? Think about it. How many different times after he was hung on that cross did he appear before different people? Several. Why? Why did he do that? Because he knows what a struggle it is for so many of us to believe. We know the story of Thomas. Oh, I'll believe it when I see the nail prints in his hands. You know, God always uses people to do extraordinary things. Some of you know this story. I've certainly told it enough. But uh, the one person I didn't want to be in life was a Christian. I thought they were geeky, weird, and I just went out of my way to avoid them. Got thrown out of college in Chicago. And by the way, an update on my life. Uh, the school who threw me out back in 1962 brought me back to their graduation this May in Chicago and gave me an honorary doctorate degree. And I had so much fun. And the, the woman who introduced me did a nine-minute introduction. That's a long time to take to introduce somebody. But she told the whole story, how I got thrown out of college for stealing the conscience fund and all that. But, but anyway, my circuitous route to Christ 
started when I got thrown out of college. And I came down to Tucson, Arizona, where I now live, and got a job as a janitor. And met my wife-to-be in the men's room of that hospital. She was a nurse's aide, helping some little old guy go piddle. And I was in there cleaning up the place. And our eyes met, and I said something stupid to her. And I asked her if she wanted to go to the World's Fair. Well, the World's Fair was in New York City. 1964 was the year. And she said, well, I don't know. I said, how about lunch then? <laughs> so I moved quickly. And we had a 20-cent cheeseburger. 20-cent cheeseburger. I'm not kidding you. Hamburgers were 15 cents. How many remember hamburgers 15 cents? You're going to die soon. Uh, but we sat there. We had one cheeseburger. We cut it in half. We split a 10-cent Coke. Buy a Coke today for 10 cents. You can't find those around. Well, I, I fell. I fell like a ton of bricks, gentlemen. I mean, I mean, you talk about instant. I mean, it was there. I mean, uh, I mean, I just felt like a ton of bricks. And every day went by, I fell more and more in love with this woman. I couldn't, I, I couldn't be without her. I wanted to be with her. Now, when she met me, I was a punk. Okay? I dressed like a punk. My hair was combed back in a DA. You can do anything but stay off of my... Yeah, that's what I grew up with, all that kind of stuff. I was a, and I was a punk. I mean, I smoked Salem cigarettes. For you smokers, 20 cents a pack. I was cool. I thought I was cool. The fact is, I was lost. We started dating. I'll never forget the first time she kissed me. She kissed me first. She asked me if I wanted to dance. We're over at her house. She said, would you like to dance? I said, well, okay. So she put on a Johnny Mathis record. Again, if you know who Johnny Mathis is, you're going to die soon. <laughs> and we started dancing, and all of a sudden, her lips started coming at me. And I tried to remember everything my mama told me. But she nailed me. I thought, whoa. Well, this woman who loved Jesus, I didn't know it. I knew she was different. Different than any other chick I'd ever met in my life. And she says to me, would you like to go to church with me Sunday? And I thought, oh, no. She's one of them. Because <laughs> the one thing I didn't want to do was go to church. I remember sitting in her church thinking, no, no, no chick's worth this. <laughs> then she wanted me to go at night. Why would you go back at night? You've already been there in the morning. The pastor was talking about the guy who knew who Jesus Christ was in his head and not in his heart. I knew who he was talking about. He was talking about me. And I tried to avoid that sucker. Every time, every time I looked up, he was looking at me. It was like just God anointed that time for me to come to a confrontation that I needed Jesus Christ in my life. You talk about a guy who did a 180. My daughter just did the ACT exams. We got our results from her. And she's brighter than bright. Just run the Robert Frost writing contest. She's 17 years old. The kid can write for a living, my editor said. Now, but uh, my ACT, SATs were at the zero percentile. 
That meant, if you don't understand math, I can tell you this much about it. It meant 100% of the people who took that exam did better than I did nationally. <laughs> and you get zero percentile by picking out some answers you think you know, smoking a half a pack of cigarettes at the University of Buffalo, and going home to watch a football game that's on TV. That's how you get that low SAT. But see, what I'm telling you is, the song we sing, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow, God got a hold of my life. I was going nowhere in life. In New York State, we have regents examinations. I never took a regents exam in my life. I took school exams. As a senior in high school, I was taking consumers math. Nancy went to the store to get four apples and had a dollar. Came home with 24 cents change. How much were the apples? That's final exam stuff. I remember looking at one of my kids' math papers once, and I looked at it, and I said, Shazam, when they start using letters. <laughs> so you're listening to a man who in many, many ways was written off in life. My high school counselor said, Lehman, with your grades, I couldn't get you admitted into reform school. Uh, a lot of people wrote me off. You know what? Mom and dad, God love them, never wrote their kid off. Believed in him anyway. And my wife, God love her. See, God he always uses ordinary people to do what? Extraordinary things. You know, when I first met Sandy, if she would have sat down with me and said, now listen, Layman, there's a couple things we've got to get straight. Number one, smoking. I don't like it. You got breath like us ashtray. Or if she sat down and said, now let me share with you the four spiritual laws. I mean, I'm telling you I would have been out of there. And we would have never been married, would have never had five kids, I would have never come to faith in all probability. So, those of you who are a little bit like Mrs. Uppington, you know exactly what your husband ought to be like, you know, back off. Learn to love this man as he's created. He's different from you. He's not going to see life the same way. You might even learn something. You know, by the way, when, when I say don't ask your husband questions, I know what you're thinking. Well, how are you supposed to find out something? You know what? When your husband says something, just say, tell me more about it. If you say, tell me more about it, you got it. He'll tell you. You're showing an interest. There's not a man here that doesn't want to talk about what's of interest to him. Okay? So love this man as he is. Just like Sandy loved me the way I am. There's our paradigm. There's a model for going out and, and, and doing the ministry of this church. Because it starts here in the pulpit, Yes. But we put legs on it, and we go out into life, and we become the person we need to be. Have a new husband by Friday? Yeah. You could have him by Wednesday, tell you the truth. But he needs to be needed, respected. He needs your words. Your words, ladies, mean more to your husband than you can imagine. When you tell him, use the words. You're so good. You're the wordsmith. Use the words. Tell him how much you need him. Tell him how much you want him. Tell him how much you rely on him. Now, see, for a lot of women, that gets them into this, oh, well, I don't want to be seen as. Well, if you want to do that social thing with your head, you go ahead. If you want a marriage that's going to honor Christ, is going to last and bless a lot of people, you learn to put each other first in marriage. It's as simple as that. Well, like I said earlier, I'm not a preacher. I'm a psychologist. But those are my words for you today on Have a New Husband by Friday. You know, certain books are just more fun to write than others. I had more fun writing that book. Because it's got a little attitude on it.
got a little attitude on it because we all know that women are the relational wonders of the world. And so I sort of got in their face and took them on on a couple of issues and really enjoyed it. Enjoying the, enjoying the threatening emails I'm getting too. No, no, actually the women have been great about the book. It really has been great. So let me just close this in a word of prayer and then Pastor Jack will come up and close. Father, we thank you that uh, we can use the word submission this morning in a positive way. That, Lord, we need to be submissive to your Holy Spirit in our life as it works in us. Lord, you've created us in such a great way. All of us are so different from each other. All men are different from each other. All women are different. And yet there's these gender differences that just jump out at us. Lord, we know your purpose is to glorify you in everything we do. But what a great place to birth that process right in the family. To have a mom and dad who love each other and care about each other. And to grow kids in a in an arena where they're loved and respected for who they are, and yet they're treated differently. Father, I thank you that you treat us all differently. I thank you that you've created us all differently, that one is not like the other anywhere we look. What a magnificent and wonderful God you are. Lord, you sent us the perfect one, Jesus. And without Jesus in our life, we know we're lost. He's the perfect one, Lord. We're the imperfect ones. So, Lord, I just pray for Jack and for Pam and the other pastors here at the church. I just pray that you'll pour out your bounty on them. And for Pastor Terry and his family, what a man of God, what a man of faith. He's at peace. He's at peace. Lord, Jack prayed that prayer earlier to speak to that tumor, remove it from his body. Lord, it's your will. It's your will. We just pray, Lord that you'll do whatever needs to be done. And we're just so thankful that we can talk about Brother Terry in such peaceful ways. Getting that kind of news cannot be an easy one. That's, that's a curveball in life. So, Lord, just let your peace and abundant love and grace surround Terry and his family. Thank you, Lord, for loving us as you do. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.